Amen. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. In our gospel reading for this morning, you have a whole lot of stuff going on. It's rather lengthy. The events take place immediately after what we call the triumphal entry on Palm Sunday. When Jesus rode into town on the back of a small donkey and was greeted with shouts of Hosanna and palm branches and people laying their coats in the street for him to pass through. There's just a whole lot of commotion as Jesus comes riding in in fulfillment of biblical prophecy in the style that all of the kings of Israel had done. Now, in the past, you might have heard folks try and argue that Jesus rides a donkey and not a war horse to demonstrate his humility and his lowliness. But that's not exactly the key to what's going on here. Who rode on the backs of donkeys? Israelite kings did. Look back at Solomon's coronation and see him riding in on, quote, David's own donkey. This isn't a statement of Jesus' humility in the eyes of the chief priests and scribes that were opposed to him. But it was a bold statement of his true identity as Israel's king, great David's greater son. This is a power move, or what we would call today, the cool kids would call the strongest possible flex. There is no mistaking Jesus' message here. He's the king, and he's come to claim his throne. John says that the people who heard Jesus was coming out to see him also heard that he'd raised Lazarus whom the dead, and they wanted to see him. Jesus is traveling with an entourage, and everyone wants to see him, both admirers and haters alike. John then says that the chief priests were plotting to kill Lazarus also, as we mentioned last Sunday, to keep people quiet about Jesus' power. And so after he rode into town, John notes that his disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. So what is all this about glory? What does glory mean in the context of Jesus' person and work? It's not exactly what we think it is. In John's gospel, and honestly, in all of the Christian faith, true glory is always tied to the cross of Jesus Christ. You hear the Father speak here when Jesus prays, glorify your name, and he says, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. And what's the context of this? The context is this, that the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Amen, 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 I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. When Jesus is talking about his glorification, he's talking about his cross. Odd stuff, right? What do you think of when you think of glory? Fanfare, festivity, grandeur, splendor, beauty, and the like. You probably don't think of God dying. The sky turning black. Earthquakes shaking the ground. The 
temple curtain tearing from top down, weeping, wailing, scourge, and blood. And yet this is precisely what Jesus means by glory. The suffering of God for us sinners is the glory of God. It's no wonder that nobody wanted it. So the Father himself speaks up and testifies to this glory. He will glorify his name once again, once and for all, in the death of Jesus. This voice testifies at once to Jesus' origin story and identity and who he is and what he came to do. And in so doing, he testifies to Jesus' authority and his glory. This is the Son of God. Not just the rumbling of thunder of some angel, but the voice of the Father. Jesus says that this voice is not for his sake, but for that of his hearers. Jesus' identity and purpose are now on full display on this very first Palm Sunday. A.D. 33, Palm Sunday. Now it's time for something serious to happen. And when I was... Reading through this and in preparation for this message, I had to take a break when I got to this next line because it was just overwhelming. And I'm going to read it to you because it was overwhelming. Jesus says, now is the judgment of this world. And the word behind that is crisis or crisis. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. The Father has testified to the Son's identity and has declared his purpose and his authority. He has authority to judge the world's sins and the authority to conquer it by casting out the present administration, Satan. This is Satan's impeachment trial, if you will. Better yet, it's the greatest exorcism in human history. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out, ekbale, the same language used elsewhere to describe Jesus casting out demons. And just so there's no mistaking what Jesus means by the phrase, when I am lifted up from the earth, John clarifies, he said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. He said this as a sign to show by what kind of death he was going to die. It's crucifixion, folks. The crowds don't get it. How can you say that the Son of Man is going to be lifted up, crucified? Doesn't the Son of Man remain forever? Well, who are you talking about? They don't get it yet, and neither do his disciples. You see, Jesus exercises his authority by means of, of the cross. You want to see how Jesus uses all of this power and authority? Look to the cross. Want to see the glory of the invisible God on display for all to see? Look to the cross. By this cross, Satan is cast out from his rulership over the world, and the world's sins are simultaneously condemned and punished. Jesus whom we often describe as prophet, priest, and king, is also at his cross the judge, jury, and executioner. 
and criminal, putting to death in his own body the sin of the whole world. The cross of Jesus Christ is at the same time his authority and his glory. It looks so ugly to the rest of the world. The crowds didn't like his answer. His disciples didn't like it either. When the time comes, they will either betray him, deny him, or scatter. John says, though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. So that the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he, has, what he heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe. For again Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and be turned, and I would heal them. And here's a statement that ties it all up together. John says, Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Isaiah saw this glory of Jesus and spoke of it. Or in other words, Isaiah foresaw the suffering servant that he describes so well. There is no mistaking what Isaiah saw because the verses quoted by John here are a piece of a very serious text, which is Isaiah 52 and 53. We call this portion of Isaiah the suffering servant. We'll read from it on Good Friday because it quite accurately depicts what Jesus suffered on our behalf. He was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. By his wounds we are healed. And this is in fact God's glory. There's a reason that Dr. Luther referred to Isaiah the prophet as the fifth gospel. It's, this testifies so clearly to what the Bible means by the word glory. Their eyes were blinded and hearts hardened. Otherwise, they never would have let him go through with it. But this is his purpose. What shall I say, Jesus says, save me from this hour? For this very purpose I have come to this hour. The purpose of Christ's holy incarnation, the word becoming flesh, was for this very moment in history. To suffer and die upon the cross, and in so doing, to save the whole world. Our text for this morning concludes with a rather interesting observation. John writes, Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Here's an absolute contrast between two differing ideas of glory. They love the glory of man rather than the glory of God. But what about you? Do you love the glory of man more than the glory of God? Few of us would admit to it, but it's often true. Do you fail to confess Jesus out of fear of damaging your reputation? Have you found yourself putting your faith life on the back burner, walking in the darkness rather than in the light because you're afraid of what will come to light? Jesus came to die for those sins too. Jesus put to death all of our feeble attempts at repentance and piety. He died for them all. He died for you. 
And as we behold his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth, we behold his cross. If you have doubts about whether or not God could possibly love you or forgive you, behold the man of sorrows hanging on the cross, suffering in your place. If you cannot grasp the finality or the entirety of your forgiveness, behold his empty tomb. See his glorious resurrection. It is finished. Even though it may look like defeat, the death of Jesus on the cross is the greatest victory over the forces of evil ever accomplished. And it didn't come in feats of strength or the display of great power, but in the humility, shame, weakness, and suffering of the Son of God upon the cross for you and for your salvation. This is real power. 